Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth podcast. Greetings, I'm your host, Dr. Paul Felcher. In my podcast, we put to practice the Apostle Paul's command in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved of God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Apostle Paul commands us to study, and the proper method of study is right division. In my podcast series, you'll learn how to rightly divide the word of truth, the Bible, greatly enhancing your understanding of Scripture and answering many questions and concerns. Today's podcast has three segments. In the first segment, I'll discuss my dilemma with the Word of God, various issues, problems, and seeming contradictions just in the New Testament. The second segment, Faith or Works, the Doctrines of the Apostle Paul and James, with additional passages from Jesus and the Apostle John. The third segment, Right Division, what it is and how the Bible is already divided. So let's begin right now. Segment 1, My Dilemma with the Word of God. Decades ago when I was saved, I started studying the Bible with a heartfelt desire to understand God's Word. But as I progressed, I found several passages that seemed to contradict. Everything in the Old Testament harmonized, as that pertains mainly to Israel and the Law of Moses. But the New Testament was a different story. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, seemed to mirror the Old Testament. There was Israel, Jerusalem, the temple, the priesthood, the law, and the feast days. But the epistles of Paul, Romans through Philemon, seem to be almost out of sync with the rest of the New Testament. Paul emphasizes grace. Everyone else encourages works and the keeping of the commandments. I was told, as you probably were too, that the Old Testament was for the Jews and the New Testament for the church. If that's true, then why was I having so many issues? Why were most New Testament writers stressing the coming kingdom in the last days? This didn't make sense. Didn't they know there was a long church age coming and the last days were 2,000 years away? Here are a few examples. Revelation 1.1 The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Here the Apostle John states that the events of the book of Revelation must shortly come to pass. That was almost 2,000 years ago. Acts 2.17 And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Well, Acts chapter 2 also happened about 2,000 years ago, and Peter describes the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit there at Pentecost as the last days, even using prophecy from the book of Joel to reinforce that. Hebrews 1.2 hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. So God spoke to Israel through the Son, Jesus Christ, during his earthly ministry 2,000 years ago, and the writer of Hebrews refers to it as the last days. I could not rationalize these inconsistencies in paradoxical passages. I did not know what to do, and none of my pastors or teachers seemed to know either. So I just spiritualized or ignored those difficult sections of the Bible. The serious student of the Bible cannot help but notice that Jesus and his disciples frequently stress keeping the commandments of the law of Moses. Here are some familiar examples. Here Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, Keep the commandments. 
Matthew 19.17. How about John 14.15? If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 2.3 and 4. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Revelation 14.12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Many more passages stress the keeping of the commandments. But Paul teaches that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, that by works, the keeping of the commandments, shall no man be justified. The contradiction is clear. The book of James declares works part of the process of justification. From James' point of view, salvation is by faith plus works. This is contrary to Paul's salvation by grace through faith and not of works. I labored with this and several other issues churning in the back of my mind for many years. Pastors and teachers would do their best to harmonize Paul's doctrine of grace and James' doctrine of works. Frequently, I was amazed and entertained at the lengths they would go to force harmony between Paul and James. I finally found the answer to the conundrum. Paul commanded Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth. By rightly dividing the word of truth, all the troubling issues disappear. Right division is the process of determining the correct audience for each book of the Bible. The Bible is all truth, but it's not all our truth. God dealt with Israel before the church began and will deal with Israel after the dispensation of grace ends. They have their truth, and we have ours. That's why I'm doing this teaching. I know that other students of the Word have similar issues that are easily corrected by following Paul's command. I believe this teaching of right division should be the basic introductory teaching for all new Christians, so they don't labor for years under erroneous traditions of men masquerading as proper Christian doctrine. Right division is truly a liberating study. Finally, we can put the entire Word of God in its proper perspective. We know exactly what writings apply directly to the body of Christ for doctrine and what books apply to Israel. The reason we have so many denominations and teachings in the church is that pastors, teachers, professors, Bible colleges, and seminaries do not teach right division. If they taught right division, there would be true harmony of doctrine and truth in the body of Christ. I spent several years in seminary, got a master's and a PhD. No one ever taught anything about right division. It was all the standard Christian uh, tradition that's been passed down from the Catholic Church for 1,500 years. So, there are three basic questions of right division we must answer for each section or book of the Bible. Only then can we grasp the intended meaning and the proper application of the passage. Number one, who is speaking? Number two, who is the intended audience? And number three, what is the time frame or setting? Answering these questions when studying the Bible is critical. The most important question being, who is the intended audience? When we know the intended audience of a passage, chapter, or book of the Bible, we can then correctly apply the passage. In other words, when Jesus speaks to Israel, he's not speaking to us, the body of Christ. He's speaking to Israel. When Peter condemns Israel for crucifying their Messiah in Acts chapter 2, he's not speaking to the body of Christ. He's speaking to 
Israel. Once you determine the intended audience of any passage of Scripture, your understanding of the Bible will be greatly enhanced. You will know what books apply to Israel and what books apply to the body of Christ. Previous areas of confusion or contradiction will disappear. That is the purpose of this teaching, to help you make that determination. Follow along with me in this study with an open mind to the Scriptures, for it is God's Word that is alive, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Examine each Bible passage in its entirety and let the Bible speak for itself. Read carefully and slowly that I may show thee the Word of God. 1 Samuel 9.27 Another note before we proceed. When I speak of right division, I'm referring to doctrine only. There are three modes of application in Scripture, doctrinal, spiritual, and historical. Historical is the setting, the culture of that day, and its impact on society. Spiritual application addresses our attitudes and behavior, how we interact with others. Doctrinal application establishes our basic core beliefs, what it means to be a Christian, our foundational beliefs that establish our relationship with God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is historical and spiritual application throughout the entire Bible. But our doctrine comes from our Apostle Paul in his writings, Romans through Philemon. Segment 2, Faith or Works, the Doctrines of the Apostle Paul and James. Why do all denominations affirm their teachings as the truth? Yet many such dogmas are contradictory. Denominations within Christianity exist because churches and groups place unwarranted emphasis on Scripture passages having little, if any, doctrinal application to this present dispensation of grace, the Church, the Body of Christ. The misapplication of Scripture, a favorite tool of Satan, is the foremost problem within Christianity, causing much error and confusion. Why does the Apostle Paul teach justification by grace through faith, but James teaches justification by works? The dichotomy between Paul's grace and James' works is the continuing controversy of law and grace. Does the law apply to the dispensation of grace, the current church age, the body of Christ? Since Gentiles were never under the law of Moses, works of the law cannot be a requirement for Gentile salvation. James is a Jew under the law writing to Jews. Works of the law are an integral part of their relationship with God. The Apostle Paul frequently wrote about justification by grace through faith. He makes a clear distinction between grace and works of the law. They are mutually exclusive. One cannot be under both doctrines simultaneously. Here are a few passages on justification by faith, Romans 3.28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Romans 5.1 Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.11 But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Romans 4, 2 and 3. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath what of to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. 
Paul states very clearly that justification before God is by faith and faith alone. Now let's take a look at some of the writings of James. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes in his epistle much about works. He states that the works of the law, that is the keeping of the commandments of the law of Moses, are essential to justification, salvation. The following are some examples of James' teaching. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? James 2.14. Let's look at James 2.20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered up Isaac upon the altar? James 2.24. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. So the contrast is clear. Paul states that Abraham was justified by faith. James asserts Abraham was justified by works. James says that faith without works is dead. Paul says that faith without works is what saves your soul. Obviously, James and Paul are not talking about the same thing. Their doctrines are mutually exclusive. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The contradiction between Paul and James is clear. However, most pastors and teachers and TV preachers try to harmonize Paul and James. That leads only to confusion for the true student of the word. However, the Apostle Paul commands us to rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly dividing Paul and James' teaching solves the issue and removes the confusion. I will explain right division shortly. But in a nutshell, Paul is speaking to us, the body of Christ under grace. James is speaking to Israel under the law. The difference is clear. So let's look at what Jesus said. Frequently, Jesus commands his followers to keep the commandments. He spoke the following in the Gospels. Matthew 19, 17. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. We read that earlier. Jesus is instructing the rich young ruler not to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, not to believe in the cross, but to keep the commandments. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. Do we show our love for God by keeping his commandments or by walking in the spirit and will of, the, of God? John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. So here you see that receiving the love of the Lord and of the Father is conditional upon you keeping commandments. Again in John fifteen ten, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Here again, abiding in the love of God is conditional on you keeping the commandments. There are many verses in John's writing stressing the keeping of commandments of the law of Moses. Here's a couple more. 1 John 2, 3 and 4. And hereby we do know that we love him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John 5, 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. 
These are but a few examples of passages that proclaim salvation and justification by keeping the commandments, the works of the law of Moses. The teachings of Jesus, Peter, James, and John harmonize with justification by faith plus works. The entire Old Testament instructs Israel to keep the commandments of the Lord. So the Apostle Paul alone proclaims salvation by grace through faith, not by the works of the law. For by grace are you saved through faith. So justification, what is it? Is it faith or is it works? The contradiction is clear. Paul teaches grace through faith. James and everyone else teaches a faith plus works-based justification. The two concepts of salvation are incompatible. They cannot coexist as requirements for salvation because grace is unmerited favor while works are earned favor. These doctrines are opposites. Grace cancels out the requirement for works and works nullifies grace. They are mutually exclusive as a means of salvation. Here we see one of the many confusing issues in the Bible. Since all the previous passages are in the New Testament, what can we do? We've been taught that the New Testament was written for the church, right? But is that true? If so, then we have a serious problem in the Bible. Do we try to spiritualize these passages to force harmony? If we do, we rob the scriptures of their true meaning and force upon them man's doctrine and traditional dogma. But this is what most pastors and teachers do. They alter the literal meaning of the passage in an attempt at harmony. Many other teachers simply ignore difficult passages, sidestepping the issue altogether. Lay people do the same. They either skim over the difficult passages or ignore them. Segment 3. Right Division. What is it and how is the Bible already divided? The Apostle Paul gives us the answer to the faith or works predicament in the following passage. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 Let's break the passage down. Paul commands that we study to be approved by the Lord when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. If we don't study, we will be ashamed before him. Who wants to be ashamed when standing before Jesus? No one, I would assume. Paul then tells us the method of our study. We are to rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide means to cut straight. When you cut something straight, like a cantaloupe or watermelon, you divide it into usable individual portions. The same concept applies to rightly dividing the word of truth. We divide it into sections that apply to specific audiences. There is truth for those that came before the body of Christ and truth for those that will come after the church is removed from the earth. Paul tells us to divide truth from truth. Not only does Paul command us to study and give us the method of study, right division, he reveals the application of the method in Ephesians chapter 2. Shortly we will explore how Paul rightly divides the word of truth. In addition to the Apostle Paul instructing us to rightly divide the word of truth, he wrote the following. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Every word of your King James Bible is inspired by God. The entire Bible is profitable for our study. We need to have a working knowledge of the entire word of God. 
However, only a portion is written directly to the body of Christ. That is where we get church doctrine and instruction on how to live the Christian life. The Bible is written for our learning and edification, but not all for our doctrine and instruction for living. Not understanding this truth is what causes the numerous denominational differences and lack of unity among the brethren. Let's look at a right division example. Let's read how Jesus rightly divided the word in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. The setting is Jesus at the synagogue at Nazareth, reading from chapter 61 of Isaiah at the start of his ministry. Luke 4, 18-21 The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus stopped reading Isaiah 61 with the phrase to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. But notice in Isaiah chapter 61 that the passage continues for several verses. Isaiah 61, 2 and 3. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, and to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Jesus did not read the day of vengeance of our God, because his first coming was for salvation, not vengeance. His second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation will be in vengeance and wrath, executing judgment upon a Christ-rejecting Israel and world. Jesus rightly divided this passage into his first coming and second coming, two separate missions, one of grace and mercy, the other of vengeance and wrath, an excellent example of right division from our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul divides the word of truth into three general time periods. One, time past. Two, but now. And three, ages to come. Let's take a quick review of each one. Number one, time past. Understand, Pierre, that Paul is writing to the Gentiles in Ephesus. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Paul is writing to the believers at Ephesus, who are mostly Gentiles. In this passage he reminds them that in time past, they were called the uncircumcision. They and all Gentiles before them were without Christ, aliens and strangers from Israel and the promises. They had no hope and were without God in the world. Gentiles were not the recipients of the promises given to Abraham and the law of Moses. Gentiles in time past had no possibility of salvation unless they converted to Judaism, were circumcised, and kept the law of Moses. Those Gentiles were called proselytes. Most Gentiles in time past were pagans 
with no hope. Paul paints a bleak picture for Gentiles in time past. Number two, but now, Ephesians 2, 13 through 17. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. The but now division is this present church age, the dispensation of grace, the body of Christ, the one new man. The but now period ends with the rapture of the church. Gentiles can now come to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. No need to convert to Judaism. In the body of Christ there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, since we together are one new man. Both have been reconciled to God by the cross. The middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile is broken down. Previously, in time past, a clear distinction between Jew, circumcision, and Gentile, uncircumcision, existed. But now that distinction has been broken down. It doesn't exist in the body of Christ. A critical distinction between the body of Christ and all things pertaining to Israel. When reading passages in the Bible, ask yourself if the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile is standing. If so, then the body of Christ cannot exist. The passage was written to Israel, not the body of Christ. Number three, ages to come. Ephesians 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. In ages to come, the riches of his grace will be shown to all that believe, both in heaven and on earth. Time passed, but now and ages to come, a simple division of the word of truth, the past, the present, and the future. Like the division of our lives, we all have a past, a present, and a future. I will continue the right division in the next episode, asking the questions, has the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile been broken down? For only then can the passage apply doctrinally to the body of Christ. An integral part of understanding right division is to see God's timeline from Genesis to Revelation in chart format. I have two such works available in print and PDF. The first is a free, rightly dividing the word of truth chart in landscape format. This chart displays God's timeline from Genesis to Revelation. It alone is a tremendous help in understanding the Bible and can be easily downloaded from my website. Second, a letter-sized booklet named The Master Key to Understanding the Bible. This 44-page guide is full-color and professionally printed through Lightning Source. It has 13 large full-color charts displaying the right division concept in great detail. The guide covers the same material as the podcast and is a must-have companion for the serious student of the Bible. Both of these are available on my website, breadoflife.media. That's breadoflife, one word, dot media. Well, thanks for joining me today. In the next episode, we'll discuss the Old Testament and the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, answering the three basic right division questions. Who's speaking? Who is the intended audience? And what is the setting? Until then, God bless.